We're sitting down with Kate Blanco from Spotlight PA. This is a great outlet that provides high quality investigative and public service journalism. Kate follows how and why state government works. I've really enjoyed reading her writing over the years. She's a graduate of the Columbia Journalism School. Today, we're gonna to primarily explore a lengthy piece that she wrote last month, surveying diverse county election administrators across Pennsylvania. When Ben Franklin was leaving the Constitution Hall, he was asked if the founders had decided to have a republic or an autocracy. And he said, we have a republic if we can keep it. Kate, okay, thanks so much for taking the time and more so for your great reporting. No, thanks for having me. So specifically, I would love to talk about a recent article, which will be linked in the, the show notes, where you interviewed four election directors across Pennsylvania. We have listeners well beyond Pennsylvania. Our nonprofit's working in Wisconsin and Michigan, but we're headquartered here in Washington. But before we do that, give folks a little about your, your background and the incredible publication at which you work. Yeah, so I'm a state government reporter at Spotlight PA. I cover the Capitol, the state legislature, sort of policy, politics, sort of stuff like that. But yeah, I've had a particular interest in election administration since I've joined the past few years. I think Pennsylvania has definitely been a, a chaotic state for figuring out what procedures are what and what people need to know, you know, to be able to vote. But yet Spotlight PA is this nonprofit newsroom. We're sort of like a wire service for the state. So, you know, a lot of times smaller local papers can't afford to have a full-time reporter up in Harrisburg these days. So they can use our pieces for free sort of to fill in anything that they want their readers to be informed about. So I... I think I would agree with the, your adjective choice, chaotic. Why do you say that? And let me ask you, do you say that now after this uh, extensive reporting or even uh, before your piece uh, surveying these election directors and what's happening in their counties? Yeah, I would definitely have said that before this piece in particular, just because I've worked on a few pieces that sort of worked to list and categorize all the different election procedures in Pennsylvania's 67 different counties. So our law significantly changed in 2019 with uh, this uh, Act 77, which allowed no excuse mail, uh, mail voting for everyone. But the way that that is sort of expressed county by county changes because every county administers its own election. There's also details on whether or not, you know, if someone signs their name wrong or or forgets to sign their name on a mail ballot, does that count? If they date the ballot wrong, does that count? And the answer is it depends on where you live. And that's just kind of a, yeah, a, a chaotic way, I guess, to run elections where, you know, if you move from one county to another, you could potentially lose some rights. So we've been covering that, you know, since I've joined Spotlight, which was in 2021. And the talking to election workers, this was sort of just a piece I've wanted to write for a while where this, these are things that I've been hearing over and over again from various election directors and just trying to put them all in one article, for me at least, was quite useful. I think I speak for many of my colleagues and I'm sure many listeners uh, found it useful and then some. So you had lengthy conversations, I imagine, with four election directors in very different corners geographically and politically of the Commonwealth. Tell folks how that happened, if you're up for it. You know, unlike a, a place like a Wisconsin or Michigan, there's not a clerk. So did you have to work through a public affairs officer of the counties? Or, you know, some of these elections directors maybe don't want to be as public and as out front and talking to journalists. But 
you clearly had some pretty open conversations. Yeah. I mean, I, again, I'm lucky where the past few years, this has been an interest of mine. So I've talked to a decent amount of election directors before. So most of the ones I think, yeah, most of the, everyone I talked to for this piece, I think I have talked to previously for other pieces. So I believe most of the times I just texted them. I had their cell number or their work number. I texted saying, this is a topic we've often talked about, what you would love to see the state legislature do in order to make your election process at least a little bit more regimented. And, you know, I think once you get election directors going, they they love to talk about election administration policy. So it really was not a, a hard ask, I think. But yeah, the, I think it's really easy to reach out to county election directors for the most part, I believe, especially if you are a voter in that county. In my experience, they've all been super open, very willing to talk. I think, you know, sometimes in some counties, they've had bad experiences with, you know, election deniers and people sort of harassing them. So that's definitely been a slight, it's been a barrier for some people, but by and large, I've had a fairly, you know, easy time talking to election directors. Yeah, I've had election directors uh, and and the clerks I referenced many times use the following where they say, you know, we're administrators, but now we also need to be ambassadors. And I think by and large, folks are proud of the work they do, regardless of the job sector. And sure, if folks come with good intentions and want to learn more about how a county spends its tax dollars and ministers elections, then they're ready to take you for a test drive or look under the hood, whatever the metaphor is. So what I took away from your piece, Kate, is that there were three primary lanes, so to speak, uh, if each of these election directors in these Pennsylvania counties had a magic wand, mail voting clarification, pre-canvassing, and raising the bar for recounts. So perhaps we could take each of those one by one. Yeah, I mean, I think the mail voting clarification, again, is just, I mean, all of these really, but these are things that election directors have been asking for for many years and aren't inherently partisan in their eyes. They're things that just would make th- make it a logistically easier to run an election. Mail voting, for example, again, that is something that just results in unequal voting practices across the state and is sort of counter to Pennsylvania's constitution policy of one person, one vote. So that definitely has been a priority and something that people have been asking for since Act 77, something that has been the subject of many lawsuits. And it's sort of a process of just the legislature and the judiciary kicking the responsibility back to one another. And the people who really suffer because of that is election directors, as well as Pennsylvania voters. (laughs) I would uh, just just as a Commercial aside, I'd encourage listeners to take a look at uh, research that we did with Dickinson College, where we went across all 67 counties looking at trends in, in, in mail-in voting. And if memory serves me, last November, November of 23, there were upward of a million Pennsylvanians who decided to vote by mail. So we should assume that number is going to be only larger. Yes, for sure. I think, yeah, a million sounds right to me. I think the registration request for mail voting was like twice that, I I believe. But as far as pre-canvassing goes, I think it's a similar situation where in the eyes of election directors, this isn't something that's inherently political. It's something that would just make their lives easier. Right now in Pennsylvania, you can't start counting ballots until 7 a.m. the day of the election. And for most of these counties, they received funding from the state 
to, you know, buy new supplies, pay poor poll workers, things like that this past year. And because of that, they can't stop counting their ballots once they start. So this can mean, especially for smaller counties, like counting nonstop for many days. And that just, I think, in their eyes, creates more room for human error because people get tired and it's a lot of ballots to sort. I was going to get to Act 88 in a in a minute, but why don't we just unpackage it now? So because there are listeners from states that do not have this, the opposite of about. So let's say a county receives on October 27th or November 1st, dozens and dozens, hundreds and hundreds of mail-in votes. They can't do a damn thing about them until 7 a.m. on election day, uh, physically opening envelopes, putting them flat on a table, et cetera. So then take folks through this Act 88, which theoretically is a compromise, but still, as you're saying, there's pros and cons uh, of what you heard from the professionals who administer these elections. Yes. So they're called election integrity grants. And essentially the deal that was struck was that there was a, you know, a large significant sum dedicated to these grants, I believe a few million, um, yeah, a few million. So it it depends on each county how much you get. Like bigger counties get more money, smaller counties get less. But I think even the smallest counties got like a hundred, a couple hundred thousand, going up to a, a million or millions. Yeah, a one point x amount million, depending on like Philly or Allegheny County. So it's essentially free money to the counties from Harrisburg, which most yeah. counties say oh, that's amazing. Would love that, but yeah. and there's a but. But the deal is that you can't stop counting your ballots once you start. So once you start 7 a.m. election day, you have to keep on going until you're finished. And again, like I said, for smaller counties, this still can still take a few days. So for larger counties like Philly or Allegheny, it's going to take a long time. Um but yeah, I think, like you said, most counties took, I believe all but four counties ended up taking the money. And I believe those same count, uh, above 60 are going to apply again from the last reporting I saw. So it's but my very- takeaway. No, I'm sorry. Continue. No, I just say it's, it's a very popular program. My takeaway, and it's a, it's a legitimate concern, is you know, having county employees in the government facility, in the central count facility at 3 a.m., 4 a.m., just opens up a potential other can of worms. It's just not, you know, some of these more rural places, it's not used to having people working in the middle of the night or, or on the, the back roads. Uh, okay, so then let's go to that other element, which I knew nothing about, to be honest, and it's fascinating, the raising the bar for recounts. And I guess we have seen this in recent years, uh, requests for recounts uh, a little more um, dare I say, frivolously than we've had in in the past. Yeah, I think that this was always sort of simmering in the background for a lot of election directors, just the fact that the election code is quite old and hasn't been updated significantly. And I I don't believe ever, I don't, there hasn't been a, like a rewrite, so to speak. It it was passed in 1937 and it stayed that way. There have been little updates, sections like Act 77 that amend parts of the code, but fundamentally all of the numbers and the 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 base of the text is still from 1937 so that which means- is wild right i mean we yes. have diverse listeners democrats republicans across urban and rural communities i think we can all agree as americans that a hell of a lot has changed in society 
since 1937, for example, we're recording podcasts and there's a whole electronic infrastructure that comes with election administration, but I'm sorry, continue. No, but electronic, that's exactly it. So many election directors complain about the fact that, you know, the code is written like you still have to send things via mail. It doesn't account for the fact that there's an electronic system right now that is much more convenient is pretty much what most people use. But the specific complaint that I heard was that because of all of these increased complaints due to, you know, claims of election fraud, uh, it puts a lot of additional stress on counties because they have to respond to them. So part of the reason it's easier to file some complaints now or file for recount petitions is because the prices are still set to 1937 level prices. So it doesn't account for inflation. I believe the lowest price to file a recount petition, it's like 50 bucks, which these days would be about a thousand, a little bit over a thousand. So it's just, it creates a lower barrier to entry essentially. And it, creates more opportunities for people to file either false claims or claims that aren't really substantial. And that really takes a lot of time for election directors to like work through and not just election directors, but the county level you know, solicitor as a whole. And yeah, I've also heard election directors say that they would love to see other legal protections for poll workers and election workers, just because uh, fear of intimidation has become more pressing. But I think that they, the ones that I've talked to at least recognize that that might be harder, a harder sell. Whereas, you know, something that's as technical as just adjusting the cost of a recount petition for inflation is maybe more of just, you know, updating the books. It's less partisan. And from a perspective of Keep Our Republic, our focus is on the post-election period and uh, particularly with presidential elections, it's a very condensed timeline and a recount at the county level as we're trying to have an electoral college convene, it just, it gums up the the process significantly should, should that happen. So you mentioned at the beginning, as we wind down that your, your, your beat is state government, and this is getting out into the counties is more and more a passion, I suppose. But with all this in mind, I mean, do you foresee in your crystal ball now in the first quarter of 2024, that the state house and state Senate's going to take up any of these fixes? Yeah, almost definitely not. <laughs> That's something that all the almost the... definitely not before uh, before election day, uh, and what's probably going to be the most consequential and expensive <laughs> election in the Commonwealth's history. Yeah, that was something that election directors they all sort of were resigned that this was not going to happen. The way I phrased it was, "What's your wish list?" But at the end of every conversation, they were pretty much everyone was pretty doubtful about whether or not it would actually be accomplished. They just switched out in the House the state government chair. Um, I think on his way out, he said that he's not, they that he doubts that any major 2024 election policy would be brought up. And I think if you just looked at the past six months of the state legislature trying to pass any election policy, we can kind of see it's been a hot mess. Like even when they try to offer up compromise, like expanded voter ID for pre-canvassing, something that theoretically both sides kind of express them being open to, they just haven't been able to like get the ball to the finish line, so to speak. So I think at this point, it would be hard to imagine them accomplishing anything significant. And I think that significant change this close to a major presidential election 
might be hard for election directors to sort of like readjust what they have to do. So I'm forever an optimist. So I'm going to ask a corollary and I'm afraid I know the answer. So we talked about several items uh, during this conversation, mail voting clarification, pre-canvassing, raising the bar for recounts, and potentially some sort of changes to criminal code for protection of election workers. Do you think any of those could move on their own? Or in other words, is there even one kernel of hope that one of these might move or everything would have to move together in a legislative package from your vantage point? I mean, I think that is the question where I, something one of the election directors said to me was like, it's like, it's impossible for them to pass a simple policy. It's like everything has to be interconnected. I do feel like the most likely path forward would, it would have to be a deal just because it's Senate Republicans and House Democrats. So there has to be something for both. I think it's possible something simple a simple deal would pass like like the voter ID for pre-canvassing just because, again, Shapiro said he's open to it. Senate Republicans and House Dems like both are getting something from it. But I think that the added eyes on Pennsylvania for 2024 makes it harder because both parties have to answer to like a national audience. So it might have to be after 2024. <laughs> Well, there's no time but the present, but let me ask you before I let you go, Kate. So our podcast is called If We Can Keep It, and it's coming from the Ben Franklin line that apparently was posed to him on Chestnut Street outside the Constitutional Convention when the question was, what are you all doing in there? Um, and he said, ma'am, we're building a republic if you can keep it. So you travel all over the Commonwealth. You have conversations with diverse Pennsylvanians. Are you optimistic? Can we keep this, this republic, this democratic experiment? Yes, I, I am. I mean, I think that if you're in journalism, that's fundamentally an expression of hope that this system can be bettered and, and it can work. And I think that, you know, talking to lawmakers too, like when you talk to them in person, especially if it's like off the record or something, you know, they, they understand what the game is, I guess, to an extent, like they know I think they're much more aware of what they're doing than maybe it might seem like online. So I do think that, you know, in December, a bunch of legislation, justice-related legislation passed. All the parties currently seem very hopeful for what this next year could bring. So I think that we'll have to see, but I am tentatively optimistic. Well, that's a that's a good note to end on, but I encourage listeners to check out this particular piece, which, as I said, will be linked, and then certainly all future pieces as this historic, hopefully not chaotic, to use your word, cycle continues from Spotlight PA. Kate, thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for having me.